0: This is a download from Newstalk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. When you're down and
1: Dad was—he was—he was comfortably off, um, and uh, he was very successful at his job. He was the managing partner in um, what was uh, Pete Morgan Mitchell, which is now sort of what KPMG is. So it was—you um, know—it's was a pretty hype high- Power job, and um, as a you know, especially as a place where no one's paying income tax, you can imagine it's quite a fruity job out there. So a lot of characters, a lot of uh, different people. Um, and there was one particular point actually. There's a there was a financier, drug dealer, kind of you know. Um, person who was on the run and a bit like the sort of Al Capone case they couldn't nail him but actually dad managed to get him on tax evasion stuff so he did get nailed and at one point apparently I was too young to remember we had, um, uh, we had uh, security outside the house all the time in case we were <laughs> at risk <laughs> my dad he had um, two kids from previous marriage so we had a half brother and a half sister who still live out there um, but Peaches and I yeah we, we were... Uh, we just It was just a lovely existence, you know, you were outside all the time, you were, you know, as I said, either on a horse or in the water or something, but you get to a stage then where you grow up and suddenly the island, you know, it's an island that's full of vice and um, so you kind of have to be shipped off and shipped away, so what you find is we live there year round, but it's a place where a lot of people have a house. So they, you know, down the road, there might be a film star living there or some mad eccentric, you know, tax billionaire avoidant. (laughs) avoidant. So this tiny island, only 21 miles long, nine miles wide, has something like 800 banks on it, you know, because it's no income tax, uh, but you end up paying sort of $10 for a pint of milk. So really gorgeous to grow up in, but then you need to get away. So after dad passed away, um, out there the obvious choice was really for mum to just come home Um, and he was sick for a while and you know he would have been quite old fashioned in the sense that he would have woken up in the morning you know probably started smoking uh, you know straight away would have had a scotch with milk for his ulcer you know <laughs> he would have had a very rich diet very stressful job uh, so he was you know he, he was not the healthiest uh, man and you know mum was his third wife actually he, had a, he was married in the wartime so I think it was the the combination of life too many ex-wives and uh a stressful job he was eventually yeah he was never going to stick around too long. We we lived down and made them and bought a house down there and um, we lived down there for most of teenage lives. She had great sense of devilment and you know she was always up for for fun you know mum wasn't that you could call her frivolous but she would always have more I think bravado and a kind of sense of you know to hell with it you know she had that natural sort of sense of just cracking on with things uh she wouldn't fret as much possibly as as we would um but she was I think the thing about her was she never lost her enthusiasm for Anything, no matter how crazy it was, and certainly when we were starting up in business, it was brilliant to have somebody there cheerleading and not suggesting, "Oh, you really ought to think about, you know, writing a more sensible business plan." You know, she never would have suggested something like that. She um, died in two thousand and thirteen, and um, so it was only a couple of years ago. And very sadly, she um, developed Parkinson's. So for the last kind of five years, she um, uh, she'd gone from Living at home, we had someone living with her and um, eventually her health was deteriorating so much she did move into full-time care and it was terribly sad um, to see, I suppose, that deterioration because you'd go down and we go down. i go down with the kids and um, she knew we were family but she didn't really know what to do with us and you couldn't really converse. There wasn't much conversation. So we'd kind of be talking at her, the kids be talking at her, everyone telling her stories, but there was no reciprocity, there's no feedback, there's no anything. And she was always um such a fantastic supporter, not just of us, but of our friends and and just she just really loved people who embraced life. So to kind of see that was very difficult. Um and so she passed away very quickly and we were kind of relieved that there wasn't the long suffering. Um and I think if she'd had insight as to how she was going to end up She would have, you know, she would have insisted on euthanasia or something. She's very practical. And it was a kind of odd time because literally within a sort of two, three week period, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and mum passed away. It was just like, boom, boom, boom. I kind of thought, I don't think this will get me. I just didn't think so. Um, But I suppose you do. The worry is always that, you know, you'll get secondary uh, cancer, And, you know, that was the thing didn't really understand at the start. You know, the danger is that, you know, the breast cell cancers, you know, those cells decide to get implanted elsewhere. And that's where you have problems. So I think once I had done the chemo and I had a good result from that, full pathological clearance, you know, they were saying that's a really good result. So take that from positive. So I think once I got that bit of good news, I kind of thought, OK, this isn't going to get me something else will get me eventually but hopefully it's not this um uh, my sister was having a party and she said oh come home for the weekend I hadn't seen her in ages, so i said grant i'll come home for the weekend and she said oh my god there's this new amazing restaurant in dublin called peacock alley it's so amazing and um she said oh i know the chef conrad if i met him because we were in there for dinner and uh, she said you should go and talk to him because he's been working in france and everything and maybe he'd hook you up with a job so uh Walked in one day and had coffee and that was it. We just we just clicked immediately. Um, we met in 1996 and, you know, we got the Michelin star in 1998. And that was a huge change. Um, and I suppose it put a lot of pressure on all of us to kind of maintain standards because you get into this state of fear that you're going to lose the Michelin star then the next year. And that fear kind of drives everything. And it's, you know... It's only when you're older you're able to look back and go, you know, for God's sake, you really have to screw up to lose a Michelin star. You know, you really have to screw up. Um, They don't just hand them out willy-nilly. And then, you know, so I think we probably put a lot of unnecessary pressure on ourselves, but we were both like that. So, you know, it kind of suited. Um, And we were together three years. During that time, it was was an incredible time. You know, a lot of achievements um, and stuff. And um, we split up uh, earlier that year. And really this was nineteen ninety nine. By the end of that year, Peaches and I had, had formed Itza and and started our own business. Conard's the type of person, look, he's you know, he's a bit of a scoundrel and um at the same time, you know, I've seen people he's he's owed huge amounts of money to, you know, going in wanting to throttle him and they have a meeting with them and ten minutes later they come out and they've they're shaking his hand patting him on the back and extending more credit. And you're like, You people are insane. But that's just he's He is the ultimate charmer, you know, he really was. He was always that way and, you know, he was a huge talent um, and, you know, he did a lot of good in the restaurant industry here. Um, Certainly shook things up and made what was a very boring Dublin scene very exciting for a while. You know, I would always try and find the humour in things and and always look at, you know, because life can be hard, life can be dark and everything and if you can't find some humour in it, you know it, it um, makes things very bleak
0: Still don't know what I was waiting for And my time was running wild A million streets And every time I thought i got it Made it seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me I've never caught a glimpse how the others must see the faker. I'm much too fast to take that test. And Turn fian- and face the stranger. Sch-